You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. One of the joys of retirement, they tell me, is that you have time to meet with friends. I have a number of friends that I have tried to keep contact down through the years, and now I'm retired, all I seem to do is catch up with them. I have a, every Tuesday in the, in the month, I meet with someone different for coffee. I'm coffeeed out, I have to tell you. Uh, meeting this one and that one and catching up. But it is good to catch up and, and to meet with friends, old, old school friends, old friends that I studied with in, in university and others that I studied with in Union College. And uh, we put the words to write every Tuesday morning in a different coffee shop or with a different fry. So we can tell you all the best Ulster fries in and around Ballyclare. But you know, this last week, uh, I have a friend who arrived from London. He was actually staying with a cousin of mine. And he works, his name is Ziggy Rogoff. Uh, Ziggy works for Jews with Jesus. And because of COVID, he hasn't been in Northern Ireland for the last couple of years. And uh, we, we sat and had, well, I had coffee. He had um, lasagna, mashed potatoes, roast vegetables, and gravy. How he put it away, I will never know. Uh, and that was at midday, and he was going out for dinner that night again, but he's like a stick. But we sat and we talked, and I was talking to him in terms of, well, he asked me, what are you preaching this weekend? And I, I began to tell him what I was preparing the problem is when someone with a Jewish background and you begin to say what you're going to talk about in regards to the resurrection and about Jesus, he challenged me to look again at the passages that I was going to consider. Because we become so familiar with the story of Easter. We feel to grasp the enormity of that story as it unfolds because we have read it again and again and again. And we lose the impact of what actually was happening for those at that first Easter time. So this week I have been looking again on the occasions when I've been preaching at these passages that I had prepared. And one of the things that has come through for me as I've looked at them again and again, there are at least three points that I want to draw out or four points this evening that I want to draw out from the Easter narrative, which began, as we remembered last Sunday, the, the picture of Palm Sunday where Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey covered by coats. And the crowds uh, threw palm leaves in front of them and they praised him because here comes the Messiah, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, that triumphal entry, yet not a triumphal entry, not in terms of Roman, uh, Roman situations, because as one writer puts it, imagine, if you will, a Roman general coming up into the, the city and seeing this crowd and wondering what was going on. And someone said, well, it's, it's, it's the arrival of, of the Messiah. And he said, a conquering king? His familiar picture would have been a, as a Roman general riding in in front of a, a, a riding in on a chariot on a fine charger and everything gleaming and behind him his armies carrying banners of those that they had conquered and behind them were the ragtag of those that they had captured. And here we see the king 
coming riding on a donkey, and behind him was a ragtag mob of people who had been healed, who were the lowest of society, who were beggars and thieves and sick. Not quite what, not quite what he was expecting the triumphal entry of Jesus. And then we see Jesus moving from, from that situation to the upper room where he, he met with his disciples. And, and we know the events that follow there, how Jesus told them when they came to the last cup of the Passover that he would not drink of this, the fruit of the vine until he had entered into his kingdom. And we also read of how Judas got up and he left that meal and he went forward to betray him. Then, the, the, then we read of how Jesus and the disciples moved to the Mount of Olives where he par paraded and, and he encouraged them to wait with him in prayer and how they failed him and where he surrendered to the Father's will, not my will be done, but yours. And then that Judas kiss and the arrest by the guards of the high priest. And then that movement from the Mount of Olives into the court of the high priest's house where he was mocked and beaten by the guards and Called, they, they, he was called to prophesy and he stood silent. And that illegal trial on the part of the high priests and how they, they accused him of blasphemy. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of Man? Well, they knew already who Jesus was. He had committed no blasphemy. It was they who accused him of being the Christ. It was they who accused him of being the Son of Man. And Jesus said, you have said it. Then we see him being taken to Pilate because the high priest and the Sanhedrin in whom he, where he stood could not offer a, 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 a judgment that would lead to death. It was not within their power. And so he brings them to Pilate, accused of treason against reason and turning the people against Rome. And again, we see the subtlety of Satan working through, through the, the, the leaders of Israel. They... they Coerced, coerced Pilate to bring a decision that he should be executed. Pilate gave Jesus over to the, his guards to be beaten and dressed in royal robes and crowned of thorns. And the picture of Christ beaten is something horrendous if you take time to read how that would be done. Many would have died even at the beating. But Pilate wished to release him. He sent him to Herod, Herod sent him back. He said, look, I don't want to deal with this. This man is not worthy of execution. Indeed, Pilate was warned by his own wife not to, 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 to be involved in this execution. And we see Pilate trying to work out a plan. He said, I'll release as his custom, I'll release one prisoner. And he suggested that he would release Barabbas. He was the worst of the prisoners that he had. He was a man of Malter who had committed multiple murders. He thought, this will be the man that they will, they will keep and let Jesus go in. Not so. And we know how, how that the people whipped up, by the crowd, whipped up by the high priest called for Jesus to be crucified. And how he was taken from that place along that road out to Golgotha's hill, and there he was hung upon the cross, nailed hand and feet to the point of death. Now, the death of Christ on this occasion was not anything different from anything else, anyone else that had been crucified. Crucifixion was the favored means of execution by the Roman authorities. 
and there were tens of hundreds of men who had been crucified. The roads would have been lined with crosses. But for us this evening, it was our Savior who hung upon the cross. Pilate's word, this I find no guide, no sin in this man. He has done absolutely nothing wrong. But we know that he took upon himself the sins of our, our world, ourselves, upon the cross. And we come to Easter Sunday morning, where his disciples where first of all Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary and Joanna came to the tomb and they found the tomb empty. And they encountered the angels and they told them, why seek ye the living amongst the dead? He is risen. And indeed the little women themselves encountered Jesus and they returned home to the disciples telling them that Christ was risen and the disciples failed to believe them. Yes, it is quite a narrative. It's quite a story of Jesus surrendering himself up to the will of the Father that he might become our Redeemer and our Savior. And you know, we can run through that story. We know it, if not, in all, not, not, if not all of it, we know it in parts. We've learned it in Sunday school. We've taught it to our children. But you know, as you look at that story, the first thing that I want us to grasp about the story of Jesus is how various individuals responded to him and how we respond to Jesus. And the first response is one of those that judged him. We think only of the judgment of the the, the Sanhedrin and the high priests in, in, in the high priest's house, which in itself was illegal, and the judgment that came on Christ came in one day instead of three or two days at the minimum. But Jesus was judged first by the guards who beat him and said, prophesy. He was judged by the leaders who decided that he was not the Christ, he was not the Son of God, he was not the Redeemer. He was judged by Herod and Pilate, and they saw nothing in him worthy of death. I wonder, how do we judge Jesus? How do we see him? What estimation do we make of Jesus? For many within the world today, they see him nothing more than a, a good man, possibly a prophet, but not a savior. They see him one of many who could bring hope or indeed life to a soul. And they dismiss him. How do we judge Jesus? I'm currently working along with others with a group of refugees. And we're in the midst of Ramadan at the moment. And uh, we were, we've been talking with those Teaching English as a foreign language, I struggled with it a first language, never as a uh, teaching anybody else to deal with it. But we have had some interesting conversations and how they view Jesus. They've already made a judgment about him. As you come here this evening, how have you judged Jesus? And the second thing that I've noted in this particular passage for me, with fresh eyes, is the number of people that were disappointed 
with Jesus. Judas, we're told, left the company of, it, company of his disciples, went out to the high priest, and they betrayed him. Why did, they, why did he betray them? I think in some senses, Jesus disappointed him. He wasn't the leader that he thought he should be. Now, we're not given details, but we dismiss him so often simply because of greed. But Jesus included him amongst his twelve. Not just simply to be a betrayer, but he was counted amongst the twelve. There was means for his redemption if he had taken it. But he was disappointed with Jesus. We also see in this passage, he was, he, the, the crowd were disappointed with Jesus. What was their hope and their aspiration on Palm Sunday? They quoted the verses of the psalmist when they said that Jesus had come up as, as Messiah, the promised one. This was the individual that they were longing would bring peace and stability to Israel. Indeed, the passage that they quoted was one of those ascent psalms that the pilgrims would often sing or read as they went up to Jerusalem on their journey to the temple at Passover. The journey to to Jerusalem was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for many. And here they were now in Jerusalem, and Jesus was coming into the city. He presented himself, or at least they thought him, as one who was the Messiah. But what happened? Five short days later, no longer did they heal him and praise him, but now they called for his crucifixion. Why? because they were disappointed with Jesus. He wasn't the man that they thought he should have been. He didn't fulfill their aspirations. They longed for a king who would be mighty and powerful in terms of political and military power. He would overthrow, it, overthrow the Roman oppressors, and he would set his people free and establish a new Israel. But Jesus came in peace and in love with a message that would transform hearts and with lives. They were disappointed. Who else was disappointed? Well, his disciples. Read through again the words of the, the day of the resurrection. Indeed, the days that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus and ultimately his death on the cross. Yes, there was a growing anticipation that Jesus may not have died, but when he did die, they had failed to grasp who he was, and they were disappointed. They too had this idea that he was going to be the Messiah, that he was a Messiah, well, that would fit their comfortable picture. And instead, he hung upon a cross. Instead, he was led in the tomb. He was dead. And so on that first Easter morning, as the women came, they came expecting to see his body in the tomb just as they had led them. And when they returned to the disciples, not one of them believed, you're telling me a story. It's not true. But to the credit of Peter and John, they said, well, we'll go and see. And they ran to the tomb. And when they arrived there, they realized that the body wasn't there, but 
It took them a time to believe. Even when the body wasn't there, even when John looked in and he saw the linen cloths where the body led and the napkin set aside, it said he believed, but it took them the rest of the day and an introduction to Jesus when they were in the upper room to really grasp who he was. But until this point, we read that they were despondent and they were disappointed. We read together of the two disciples on the journey to Emmaus. What did it say of them? Their, their, their countenance was downcast. They were disappointed with Jesus. I wonder this evening, are you disappointed with Jesus? How can Jesus disappoint us? We live in a consumer society. We, lo- we live in a society where we want things customized and we like Jesus customized to our picture and our situation. We want Jesus to answer our prayers just the way we ask them. We want Jesus to do the things the way we want them done. We want Jesus to fit our picture of a Savior. But the truth is, God has his own plans and his own purposes in every situation. And sometimes our prayers are answered with a no. Sometimes our prayers are answered with a wait. Sometimes our prayers are answered just as we pray because they're prayed and it is God's will. Sometimes God lets us journey through times of trouble and distress. I sat with a woman yesterday morning in a hospital, a beautiful, beautiful lady. She's in her 94th year and a a lovely saint of God. And she said, you know, what have I done wrong? How have I let God down because I am in so much distress. She's in the last hours, or last days of her life. And I had to say, Maureen, you've done nothing wrong. God has promised to be with you even now, even though you are in distress and pain. God has promised to be with you. Sometimes we get disappointed with God, but the promise is God is with us always, even unto the end. And then there are those who fail to believe who he was. They fail to believe who he was. And they disappeared. Disappeared from the scene. I say of the disciples and the friends, they had scattered from around the, 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 the cross, save but for a few women. And when they came to the tomb, they they were asked the question, why seek you the living amongst the, the dead? And the disciples on the Emmaus Road were questioned about all that was happening. They'd failed, they'd failed to believe in the words of Jesus. Jesus had repeatedly, time after time after time, to tell them that he must die. And on the third day, he would be raised again to new life. He told them it when Peter had been, been challenged, who do you love? Or who do, you, who do men say that I am? Jesus went on to tell him the full message of his life and ministry. Even as he came up into Jerusalem, ahead of, of all that would happen, he told his disciples that the Messiah must die and be raised again on the third day, but they failed to believe. I wonder, 
do we, are we counted amongst those who fail to believe in Jesus? We fail to take his word to our hearts and believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. And the last key thought, if you like, from this Easter story for me is a question that was asked by Pilate as he pronounced judgment on Jesus. What will we do, or what will you do with Jesus? Judas answered the question by betraying him. The leaders of Israel answered the question by denouncing him as a heretic and a blasphemer. The Pilate answered the question by washing his hands of him and saying, I want nothing to do with him. The disciples initially answered the question by forsaking him. And the crowd answered the question by saying, crucify him. But in the midst of all of that, there was one man standing at the foot of the cross, a witness to all that had happened, a hardened soldier, a centurion, who had probably attended more crucifixions than most. And what was his conclusion? His conclusion was truly, this was the Son of God. Because he heard the final words of Jesus as he cried out, it is finished. And in that moment, the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. And the way was opened for man to enter into the presence of God. In that moment, the sting of death was taken. In that moment, death was defeated and sin was conquered. In that moment, Jesus paid it all. All was done that needed to be done. But the question still stands. What will we do with Jesus? Will we receive him as Lord and Savior of our lives? And if we have, what will we do with this Jesus whom we know and love? Will we follow him with obedience, living the life of witness and testimony to his grace and to his love? Yes, Easter has become a time within our society for the Easter bunny and for Easter eggs. And for many of our youngsters, it's all confused about what happens. And the message of Easter is lost. Because for, for many of us, it's become too familiar. For many of us, we have detached it from life itself. But Christ died but also Christ is risen. And the resurrection of Jesus is the central tenant of the message of the gospel because he lives. 
we shall live also. Because he is risen, we will rise again. Death cannot hold us. And we look and we long for that day when Christ will break the clouds. And when all the saints from every age and every time will be gathered together with him forever and enter into the glories of the new heaven and the new earth and sit down with our Savior at the table of the Lamb. And when he will drink that final cup that he promised on the night on which he was betrayed. But the question still stands. What will you do with Jesus? Thank you.